Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, we were joined by Matt Bell, the CEO and co-founder of TurboFish, a team working on Nomic, which is a layer one blockchain that offers a decentralized non-custodial Bitcoin bridge into the Cosmos ecosystem. Topics of discussion in this episode included the ethos of peer-to-peer building, Bitcoin's resiliency through slower development cycles, the power teams have in building stacks in the Cosmos ecosystem, unlocking Bitcoin's liquidity into cross-chain DeFi, and so much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, and that nothing should be taken as financial advice. The host or guests may hold tokens discussed in this episode, so check out the Neo News Today webpage for more information on disclaimers. With all that said, I really enjoyed having this conversation with Matt, and I hope you enjoy it too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. I am really excited today to be joined with Matt Bell, the CEO and co-founder of TurboFish. TurboFish is a team working on Nomic, a layer one blockchain which offers a decentralized non-custodial Bitcoin bridge into the Cosmos ecosystem. How are you doing today, Matt? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I actually just got back from a few days in DC to advocate on the Hill for broader crypto legislation. So I'm really reared up and ready to jump into these conversations and really excited to actually talk to you about Nomic because um, full disclosure, I've been a Nomic hodler and user for the past couple of years. And it's been really cool to kind of see the progress that the team has made. So to jump into the conversation today, I just want to start at a higher level, more philosophical question and hear your insights about why it's so important to connect the Bitcoin network with other emerging blockchain ecosystems like Cosmos. Yeah, that's a really good question, because to me, it's really obvious that Bitcoin is the crypto asset, it's the digital gold. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Ethereum has risen up within the Ethereum ecosystem. ETH is its own digital gold. But if we zoom out and look at the broader crypto ecosystem, Bitcoin is more valuable than all other cryptocurrencies combined. You know, that's just so much value. And if we look at it, most of that's just sitting in wallets. It's like so many people have BTC, but they're not doing anything with it. And so it's this important asset, but it doesn't really have finance where you can use that Bitcoin and productively earn yield or borrow against it. Like if you want to do any of those things, you have to do it on a centralized platform. So we have this important crypto asset, but sort of no venue to really put it to work and use it in a decentralized way. So I think it's really important to bring Bitcoin to any crypto DeFi platform or ecosystem and put it to work. So that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that's why we think what Nomic is doing is so valuable. I agree. And I can't wait to dig into this more, but I kind of want to take a step back and get a little bit of a sense of your history and how you ended up in this place. So do you recall the first time you came across Bitcoin, Ether, blockchain, crypto, just the first time you heard about any of this Web3 stuff? And what were kind of your initial insights? So I think I kind of have a funny, unique crypto origin story, how I first got into it, because it was 2011. So that was before ETH was created. That was before so many things. It was sort of just Bitcoin. And it it was just this little niche community of like people online. So how I first found it was I was just always really interested in peer-to-peer networks because growing up through the peer-to-peer file sharing era where there were like, you know, everyone was just like downloading music and doing that sort of stuff. I always just thought it was kind of fascinating technology because it's really native to the internet. It's not like some website that can be shut down. It's basically just a bunch of people sharing files with each other. And I just always wanted to learn more about that. So I remember like reading about peer-to-peer networks on Wikipedia. And that was where I first saw Bitcoin mentioned, where it was like another application of peer-to-peer networks is you could create money by doing this. And I just thought, okay, that kind of makes sense. You know, that's just another application of peer-to-peer technology. And It wasn't like I saw it as like, this is something I have to invest in. I really thought it was just some niche little project that no one would ever care about. But I thought it was so cool. And like, I would read so much about it. And like, I joined all these communities and I'd be talking to people about it. And 
playing around with it. And then like me and Judd, who is my co-founder here at TurboFish. By the way, TurboFish, we're the company, we're the core contributors to Nomic. So that's sort of just our development company. But Judd, who's my co-founder there, like early on, we pulled together money to buy a Bitcoin miner back when you could do it just with GPUs before it had to be like a big commercial operation. And we're mining on my college dorm electricity for free. And, you know, we were just both into Bitcoin. We thought it was so interesting. And I've been working in the crypto industry ever since then. So it just sort of started out as a hobby of an interest in peer-to-peer networks and it just sort of stuck. So since then, I've worked at different crypto companies. Like I was at Protocol Labs, which is the company that makes IPFS and Filecoin. So I still have a lot of commits on the Go IPFS implementation, like spent a few years working on that and then eventually moved over to Cosmos really early on. And I've just been in the industry, engineering and interested in all the different evolutions of it ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. You touched on a lot of key points that I can't wait to bring up throughout this discussion. But I love hearing that it's the P2P revolution that kind of got you stoked on the space. I very much remember my first time downloading one of these audio files from a peer-to-peer network and the feeling of empowerment that they gave me that I now had access to all this audio content in the world that I was even younger at the time. So maybe explicit albums that my parents didn't want me listening to, being able to have access to that was one of the more freeing moments I've ever felt in my life. And Bitcoin is definitely that, but for money. So that's super cool that you kind of got into it from a first principles builder perspective and and just kind of leaning into what these P2P networks were. So you said that you got your start at Protocol Labs, and we're also proud to have some Protocol Labs alumni on the pod, Sarah Thiam, from, who's working on IPFS as well. So what did you study in school? And did that kind of help further this interest that you had in building in these open source peer-to-peer networks? Yeah, so I was studying computer science and it's funny because, you know, I didn't stay in school that long. I dropped out because my fascination with Bitcoin and like joining all these different Bitcoin communities, I was like getting all these jobs, like getting paid to work on Bitcoin stuff back when there, you know, there weren't very many developers in that space. So they were sort of the first emerging companies and it was just this small circle. It was sort of easy to find work there. And I was just I was like, hmm, I'm already fully employed, so do I need to do another three years of school? And so I just dropped out and made it my career. So Yeah, and when you dropped out, you went over to Protocol Labs first? No, that was a few years later. That's funny because I was working on my own project called Filecoin, and so the founder actually reached out to buy the domain name. I owned Filecoin.org, and he reached out, and then then we just started talking, and he's just like, hmm, like, you want to come to San Francisco and like start hacking on some stuff with us? And then that's how that happened. But the first thing I worked on in crypto was it was this really early Bitcoin multi-sig wallet. And that was before the word multi-sig was even a term. It was just sort of, it wasn't even officially supported in Bitcoin yet. I think the multi-sig opcode hadn't even landed in Bitcoin yet. And so they were like using some special cryptography to even make that possible. Like that company is gone now, but it just sort of stuck for me that this is a fascinating space with so much going on that I just knew I wanted to work in this space. That's really awesome. And so you had this company that you started that doesn't exist anymore. You were kind of ahead of the curve using Filecoin and looking at these multi-sig solutions or trying to envision multi-sig solutions. So between then and around the time that you were at Protocol Labs or a little bit after, you also had some other companies that you founded or worked on behalf of Mercury and All In Bits. So maybe you can kind of, you don't necessarily have to go into what the details of what those were, but maybe how did your experience during Protocol Labs and afterwards, how did that kind of create the path that led you to co-founding TurboFish? I feel like for some context, when I first got into all of this, since it was only Bitcoin, sort of the default position for everyone was to be a Bitcoin maxi, where there was Bitcoin, then there were like these little sort of experimental projects that no one took seriously. And then Ethereum was the first time where it was like, okay, maybe one of these alt projects is a big thing. 
And maybe there's some people who haven't accepted that still, but at the time I really hadn't, and I didn't really see the value in things that weren't Bitcoin, but I was interested in proof of stake. I was thinking like, I don't know if this can work or not because Bitcoin's proof of work is so fundamentally sound and elegant. And do we really want to just replace it with some other system? Can that even work? Why wouldn't we have started with proof of stake in the first place if it can work? And so I just had all these questions about that. But then all in bits, Tendermint, Cosmos, you know, it's all the same thing. You know, they had different names for the organization, but I saw they were hiring and I was like, okay, I just want to learn more about this proof of stake thing. I don't know if it can work, but I can at least start working there and see what I think. And eventually while digging into the tech, it was like, okay, it really is figured out now. And I think it makes a lot of sense, but I think there's an important thing to think about in proof of work versus proof of stakes, you know, like Bitcoin and mining versus Ethereum type chains with staking. It's not like a replacement, not proof of stake. I don't believe should replace proof of work. I think they're perfectly complementary and they work together very well in a technical sense. And I just think that's really cool. From a meme perspective, Texas is the land of Bitcoin maxis. So when you're going to like Bitcoin meetups and you're talking about working on Nomic and bridging Bitcoin to the Cosmos ecosystem, are you running into folks who shun you or or call you like a shit coiner or something like that? What's the perspective of folks that you build around in, in Austin? And are they open to the ideas of bridging Bitcoin to other non-proof-of-work, non-Bitcoin ecosystems? That's a really good question. It's a touchy thing for some people. I think the way we look at it is, since Bitcoin is so big, there's such a diverse set of people who hold Bitcoin, it's really a spectrum. And so we have this extreme loud part of the spectrum where it's like Bitcoin only, there should be no other crypto asset. And I think that's a very extreme position. It doesn't really make sense because if you have a currency, you would want like companies that use that currency to exist in that ecosystem. And, you know, you might want shares of those companies and that's a different asset. We don't have to look at that as competing with the currency itself. If you're holding some company stock, does that mean the currency is worse off for it? I don't think so. I think there are still a lot of those extreme people, but increasingly, and especially with all the activity in ordinals and all these new things in the Bitcoin ecosystem, there's an increasing amount of progressive Bitcoiners where, you know, they still want Bitcoin to win. They want Bitcoin to be the crypto asset, but they're okay with projects that use Bitcoin that also sort of have other tokens and NFTs and things like that. And so I think increasingly projects like Nomic are becoming canonically part of like the main Bitcoin culture. It's becoming more acceptable. So I think if you'd asked me a few years ago, it would have been like, I keep it under wraps. Like I don't talk to people about this sort of thing because I'm worried what they might think. But I think in the last year that's evolved a ton and I'm really bullish on the Bitcoin ecosystem in general, because people have realized like, if we're just this extreme and we don't touch anything other than Bitcoin, then we're not going to make very many cool things that people really want. So I think it's a really exciting time for all of that. I agree. I mean, I was kind of having some moments of fear, I guess you could say, over the past year and a half or so before Ordinals and really concerned about how Bitcoin security is going to move forward in the future if miners aren't able to derive more of a revenue. And so I was actually having some serious existential questions, not to throw salt in the wound of Bitcoin maxis or anything like that, but really curious to see like how will miners be rewarded in the future, especially as Bitcoin emissions are reducing where another happening is upon us soon. So it's really cool to kind of see what ordinals have done. And also kind of cool to hear that there are folks who were, I guess you could say, quote unquote, maxis who are starting to come around. And this is why I really appreciate what Nomic is doing. And you kind of have been propagating this narrative in the media that I've seen you partake in, written in, in spoken interviews where Bitcoin has $500 billion of liquidity. It's the OG digital asset, OG decentralized digital asset. And you're right, most people just hodl it and throw it into a wallet and don't look at it anymore. But these digital assets have programmability built into them and we should be able to 
leverage them in other ways that we want to, whether it's to borrow or lend or to do other DeFi activities. So can you, from a high level or just from your perspective, maybe you're even reiterating something you've already said, but could you just share some insights into Bitcoin's massive amount of untapped liquidity and why it's such an issue to the point where maybe this liquidity should be tapped into to provide broader DeFi opportunities? So I think for any asset, you know, there's sort of these core financial use cases that people are going to want. So if you hold a lot of Bitcoin, it makes a lot of sense to be able to borrow against that Bitcoin where you use it as collateral and then you get some other asset in return. So that could be some dollar stable coin or something like that. So let's say you have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and you don't want to sell it, but you need some dollars to keep operating your business. So you can instead borrow, you know, say $500,000 worth of stable coin, like USD stable coin, and you use that. And so you still have that million dollars worth of Bitcoin as collateral, but then you've borrowed against it. And so Bitcoin is like really still like your fundamental underlying asset. And if the price of Bitcoin keeps going up, you still capture the value of that. But it's not just value in your portfolio that's locked and you can't do anything with it. You're actually like usefully using that value in any way that you want. And so that's just one core thing is borrowing and lending. And so I think that's one of the first most important use cases, but there's so many other things. So in the Ethereum ecosystem, we see a lot of that with wrapped Bitcoin because it validates that Bitcoin as an asset is so important for any DeFi ecosystem. So if you look at the TVL of Ethereum, it's something like $20 billion last time I checked. I don't know, a lot of it has been moving in the last few weeks, so that number could be off by some amount now. But if you look at wrapped Bitcoin, that's worth $5 billion. And that's pretty interesting to me because that means even though that's not a native asset, for context, WBTC is centrally held. Like there's one custodian, which is that company BitGo, that holds all the Bitcoin. And so anyone holding WBTC is essentially trusting that they're going to like really keep all the Bitcoin and honor redemptions and things like that. And so it's really not a native way to use Bitcoin. But since Bitcoin is such an important asset, people will still take on that risk and use it. And to me, that just validates that people want to use Bitcoin in DeFi. And just imagine if there was a native way to use that Bitcoin, I think there would be far more Bitcoin in any DeFi ecosystem. But the fact that WBTC is such a major asset of Ethereum is pretty cool. And it shows that people want Bitcoin as collateral. I think you touched on a really important point, and I was planning on touching on this later, but this is the perfect opportunity to do so. You mentioned that wrapped Bitcoin is managed by a centralized entity, a custodial service. And something that Nomic is doing that's really cool is building a non-custodial bridge. So when people think of bridging, they might think of like the wormhole hack or you name any other hack that's happened in the ETH ecosystem transferring in and out of there. So how does Nomic apply this non-custodial principle to bridging? It just starts with the technical design of Nomic. So we've done so much where it's really deeply integrated with how Bitcoin works because it's so focused on Bitcoin. Like if you look at other bridging projects, they sort of try to connect every blockchain to every other blockchain. And so they can't really take the time to go deep into one. And Bitcoin is so different from all the sort of newer blockchains that you can't really just apply the same strategies there. You really have to go deep into how the Bitcoin protocol works. And so how Nomic does that, for instance, we have this emergency dispersal process. That's just one really cool feature where if Nomic went down for any reason, like even if it was like the worst possible case and the network is just gone, in other bridging protocols, your Bitcoin would just be stuck in limbo. But in Nomic, the Bitcoin comes back to you on the Bitcoin blockchain automatically. So it would just show up back in your Bitcoin wallet. And I think that sort of thing's really cool. And that's not something that other bridging protocols have. And it's something that it makes it really your Bitcoin. So if you're holding Bitcoin in the bridge, you can deposit Bitcoin and then you have NBTC and that you can use that in different Cosmos blockchains. But if something goes down, you essentially get that Bitcoin back automatically. And that even goes further to make it so that you only have to trust that 
10% of the voting power is honest, which is a very small assumption. Like it's very easy to assume that comparing that to things like Bitcoin, you have to assume that over 50% is honest or in Tendermint based blockchains in Cosmos, you have to assume that two thirds is honest with no make. It has this like very small threshold. So it's like a very high guarantee that things will keep working as expected. And so I can list off a bunch of different technical details like that, but just overall, the picture I'm trying to paint is we've gone really deep into making it. It's the polar opposite of WBTC, where there's this one entity and you just have to hope that they're operating as expected. Instead, everything's very open and transparent and the mechanisms are designed to be very likely to keep working as expected. Yeah, that's really cool. Maybe from a layman's perspective, when somebody sees NBTC and WBTC to them, it might just look or sound the same. There's a letter before Bitcoin or the BTC asset. So now from my perspective, it might just seem wrapped anyways. So could you just kind of like help me grok that? Why isn't NBTC just like another wrapped asset that's now composable in the Cosmos ecosystem? If you look at the underlying mechanisms, it's sort of like saying a balance on Coinbase versus a balance on MetaMask or something like that. I mean, this isn't the way we do it, but imagine if, if you deposit Bitcoin into Coinbase and you call that Coinbase Bitcoin, that's essentially the difference where you know that there's some custodian holding it. So in that case, that's WBTC is BitGo holding it. But in Nomic's case, it's this decentralized custody process. And we do call it NBTC, but that has been something we've talked about. And that's something Osmosis, which is the main DEX in Cosmos, they really want it to be pick a canonical Bitcoin representation. So they do still have WBTC there. But they want one where once it's over the threshold of the security you would expect to just be able to call it Bitcoin and not have to, you know, add this sort of qualifier letter. And so I imagine, you know, it'll be a osmosis governance proposal or something like that. But I really believe Nomic can be that and just be Bitcoin within Cosmos rather than NBTC. But for now, just to keep things simple, it's just NBTC. So one of the things that I was always, I guess you could say a fan of, or just something I appreciated was much like Bitcoin's slow glacial pace of development is a feature, not a bug. Nomic, for me personally, famously, took a while to release this bridge on mainnet. So from my perspective, that just shows that there are these same principles to Bitcoin core development that you and your team might have applied. So I guess maybe using the lessons of previous hype and bust cycles and Bitcoin's pace of development, what are some of the, I guess, correlations to Nomic's development pace and Bitcoin's development pace that you applied to building this non-custodial bridge? And maybe you could share some insights into why you and your team really focused on churning out a solid product rather than churning out something during like a crazy bull market type of cycle? Yeah, I like that question a lot. I think if you look at any sort of development, even more than just crypto, even more than just software, you can look at it as if you're building for the short term or the long term. So you can imagine so many home builders in the United States, you know, just like cranking out these houses where they just put it together so cheaply and maybe cut a bunch of corners, but they can turn something around really quickly where they have this house and someone can buy it and maybe it won't last that long. You know, it's like measured in decades where a few decades later needs repairs and a bunch of things need to be replaced. We could compare that to something like building a cathedral or a castle where the amount of man hours that would take is so much higher, but what they're building is something far greater and that will last, you know, potentially thousands of years. And I think Bitcoin sort of has this ethos of building for the very long term, like being the asset that lasts thousands of years that like will be important to the economy of the world thousand years from now. And I really believe it can be. And I think 
so many other things in crypto are just focused on yeah the next few years of the bull market and just being able to make their token price go up so that the founders get rich. And so, you know, I'd rather build to make a lasting legacy of this project that lasts a long time and is useful to people for a very long time. And there's so much room in between in that spectrum. Like you don't have to be as extreme as Bitcoin, but like if you take a few years to build something in the grand scheme of things, that's not that long. And software, we're just boiled by, you can execute projects in a few months if you really want to. But I believe that it takes a lot of cutting corners if you're trying to build something really great. So in the case of bridging, you know, there's so many bridge projects that it's really easy for them to add new chains because essentially all it is is a small multi-sig. And so any chain that supports that, they can just quickly add it. And they don't even, they sort of put a lot of trust in their validators to report on what's happening on the remote chains. But in Nomic's case, it has a Bitcoin client within the protocol. So it's actually verifying all the proof of work that was mined on Bitcoin. It's verifying proofs of what happens on the Bitcoin chain. So I think that's pretty unique for Bridge, but it's just sort of the difference between doing the quick, easy way and like the solid long-term way. So it's not just that, there's that ethos of building for the future, but there's also with Turbofish, everything we've built for Nomic is, first of all, we're a small team, you know, we're just three engineers working on all of this. And we're not just like other Cosmos chains that build on the Cosmos SDK, but we've actually built our own stack from the ground up. So we've essentially rebuilt an alternative to the Cosmos SDK that's more performant and you can get things done with like a tenth of the code. You can build comparable pieces with one tenth of the lines of code. And so that itself has been a big investment. So in working on Nomic, it's like we didn't just build Nomic, we built this whole stack from the ground up and then we built Nomic on it. So that really is just an investment for the future of everything else we'll want to build after Nomic or changes to Nomic that we'd want to propose. And I think that in the end makes Nomic a better product and makes its future brighter for all the new upcoming things that we'll be able to accomplish. And I think it's in a place now where for the team, like we can really execute things really well in a short amount of time. It just took that initial investment of building the tools to get there. So I think from here on out, things won't be necessarily this slow pace, but like on a product level, each month or two, we'll be able to propose cool new things to the protocol. Yeah, that's really cool. I love the analogy that you use with cathedrals as well. I read a novel a couple of years ago that just one of the main characters was a cathedral builder, and he knew he was going to spend his whole life working on building this phenomenal, fantastic building, and he was never going to see it finished. It was going to be a multi-generational process to build it. So I love that metaphor. I think it's really apt, especially in such a fast moving industry and ecosystem such as not only tech, but crypto and blockchain in general. So I'm actually curious to hear then, because it sounds like you rebuilt the Cosmos SDK stack to fit Nomix needs. So you guys were really on the ground level with that. But what about Bitcoin's upgrades? How does something like the addition of Taproot or multi-sig Schnorr signatures how do you guys go about keeping your finger on the pulse for Bitcoin development and maybe even Cosmos development and how that might impact what you're working on with Nomic? Because now you're very dependent on major upgrades that happen in both ecosystems. So what's it like just balancing having to basically be like a subject matter expert on two development ecosystems? It's very fun to keep up to date with what's happening in Bitcoin and all the evolutions because, you know, like you've said, it is a glacial pace of development. So it's honestly not that hard to keep up with, but it also makes it more exciting because like any minor change in the protocol, like makes all these new possibilities. And so specifically for Taproot, like you asked about, that is something we're incorporating in one of the next Nomic proposals and it's essentially, you know, we'll be able to make things so much more efficient where as funds move in the bridge, instead of the scripts being all these different signatures, like all this different data that has to go to a Bitcoin blockchain, it all turns into like one simple little signature. So that's from like the Schnorr signature cryptography. Essentially, it just makes Nomic a hundred times more efficient or something like that, or up to a thousand times even. 
And like, I think that's really cool that that's a new part of the Bitcoin protocol. But even going beyond that, I think there's some really exciting parts to be excited about. Like there's OpCat, which is, it's just this very simple change to the Bitcoin protocol. It's something that even Satoshi had originally put in the Bitcoin protocol, but then he had realized like, oh, maybe this needs a little more thought because people can use this to spam the network. So he turned it off. But like, since then they've figured out like ways to make sure no one can use it to spam the network. So turning that back on, it sounds like, you know, just such a minor difference, but like people have shown you can really build anything with that. All these amazing smart contracts, things that were only possible on Ethereum, just with this one little change to the Bitcoin protocol, you'll be able to do construct all these different contracts that will be natively enforced by the Bitcoin protocol. And I think that's really cool. So keeping up to date with that, like if that goes through and it's looking likely because there's been those issues with the lightning network and like there's something called replacement attacks which has sort of made these issues with the lightning network this would be able to fix all of that and so it makes it sort of likely that in the next year or two i could see the bitcoin core devs and the bitcoin ecosystem at large you know getting excited about re-enabling opcat and then as a byproduct making all these really cool bitcoin native smart contracts possible and that would definitely be something that Nomic would make use of in a big way. That's cool. Has Nomic done any Bitcoin development that has maybe raised the attention to Bitcoin developers, core developers? I guess what I mean to say is, have you guys built something that has kind of raised the eyebrows of, of Bitcoin devs and maybe something that Nomic has done has acted as an opportunity? for Bitcoin developers to kind of add something new that they never thought of before? Yeah, definitely. I think like when we very first published, it's not a white paper, but it's just this sort of technical design document about how Nomic works. Like we had just posted that online while we were in the early days of implementing it. And that was about two years ago. And I just posted that online. And then we happened to go to the Austin BitDevs meetup for the first time because someone had told us about it. And the format of that is the presenters sort of like go through all the cool things happening in Bitcoin. Like they have like a big list of things to share and then they bring it up for discussion. And it was our first time going to that. And we didn't know anyone there. And then that happened to be one of the things they brought up. And so that was just so cool to see. And from there on out, you know, there's been so many cool people, like really smart people in the Bitcoin world that are really native Bitcoin developers that have engaged with this. And it's very fun to work with Bitcoin because it's just such a different type of development than other places. Like it is a little esoteric, like you do have to know a lot about Bitcoin specifically to be able to get anything done. But then because of that, you know, maybe there are less things to look at than say Ethereum, where there's so many projects built on Ethereum, it'd be impossible to know about all of them. But in Bitcoin, when someone makes something cool, since that doesn't happen as often, then people will talk about it more. And so it is very fun to engage in that. And it is very fun to build on Bitcoin because it is kind of harder, I think. And it really does seem like your team is genuinely excited when you guys come across a new user, especially if they, you found them in the wilds. That's got to be an awesome feeling. And I feel like you guys probably get to feel that more often than not. So I guess I'm curious to hear, maybe this is a simple answer because you worked in the Cosmos ecosystem, you were at Tendermint before, and you've been collaborating alongside Cosmos folks for so many years. But what was it about Cosmos in general that attracted you there? as opposed to any other L1 ecosystem that was kind of beginning to emerge in the 17, 18, 19 era? What I would say is Cosmos is essentially, you know, it's not this monolithic thing. It's not like this platform where you just add your smart contract and it lives on the platform. It's instead really just tools for you to build your own blockchain. And so you get to make all your own engineering decisions or you know, economic decisions of how your protocol works instead of being beholden to how those platform developers have decided things work on their chain that you submit to. It's now you build your chain and you get to make the decisions. And so when I've talked about we built our stack from the ground up, you wouldn't be able to do that anywhere else. Like we use the Tendermint consensus protocol, like all Cosmos chains, but we don't use the Cosmos SDK. We use our stack called Orga. 
but they still get to be compatible, you know, like you can still transfer tokens, even though we have this from scratch implementation, it still works with all other Cosmos chains. And I think that's really cool. That's something you really can't do anywhere else. You mentioned Orga. You guys are also working on Merck. So can you share a little bit more highlights on maybe what Merck is? And then also touch on why you guys are such Rust maxis. Okay, so to give some context, we started out coming from the Cosmos world. We first built, like, yeah, my co-founder Judd started this project called Lotion.js, which is, it's a JavaScript framework for making Cosmos chains. And so that so many people were really excited about that. And while we were working on that, it was, there were a lot of people building projects there because it's so easy to get started. And so we've always valued making these frameworks where it's very easy to use, like for new developers to get in and just even for expert developers to get things done, to build things more simply, even if you're building something advanced. So just ease of use is something we've always valued. And so we had started building that and then Eventually, the Merkle tree, which is an important component of any of these systems, that's essentially the database of the blockchain. And so anything you're doing has to go through that. So if that's slow, then everything's going to be slow. So we were like, let's rebuild the Merkle tree in Rust so that it's fast. And so we had this JavaScript platform with a Rust Merkle tree, and then that went so well, and it was, it made it so much more solid and so much faster. It was like, you know what, let's build the whole thing in Rust. And so that was sort of our journey into Rust. And Orga is sort of the spiritual successor to Lotion, but all in Rust, but still keeping a lot of those values of making things easy to use. And so Rust is like a harder language to use than JavaScript, but that doesn't mean you have to lose that ease of use. And so we've made it really important to be able to get a lot done with a very small amount of code. And that also goes in line with our team being very lean I think it's very common for so many crypto companies in general, like if they want to build something, they have so many engineers, like, you know, if it takes 30 engineers to build something, then the product isn't going to be as good. It's going to be 30 times more complex then. And with Orga, you know, it's sort of designed for a small amount of people to get a lot done. So Merck, just touching on that more, since we built that in Rust, we focused really hard on performance and Comparing that to the Cosmos SDK, it's, you know, something like 10 or 20 times faster than the Cosmos SDK's Merkle tree. And so that just makes for, you can build blockchains that have much more throughput. So we value things like Solana a lot, the protocols that have focused on performance and at TurboFish, we've made everything we've built very high performance like that, which is another way to build for the future and be able to support large amounts of users for anything we build. And I'm very proud of how high performance and how solidly engineered some of these things we've built are. That's really cool to hear. So you mentioned another Alt L1 that is building along the principles that you guys value. So is that kind of maybe an Easter egg or a hint for other networks you guys might plan on bridging into or out of in the future? Or are you really still kind of just doubling down on the Cosmos ecosystem? That wasn't meant to be an Easter egg, but we do view Nomic as going beyond just Cosmos. Cosmos is a really cool ecosystem, but the mission we're trying to accomplish is really just having DeFi native to Bitcoin. And I think a lot of that does mean bridging to other ecosystems as well. like. It would be really cool. Something on our roadmap is bringing Bitcoin to Ethereum. So bringing NBTC to Ethereum through Nomic and native smart contracts on Bitcoin. I don't think I was trying to draw out like a, a what's next, but that's really interesting to hear that the roadmap eventually, or just the vision expands beyond just one blockchain ecosystem. But I am curious to, to hear maybe for other bridge builders out there who are hearing this and they maybe want to pull some insights gleaned from you, what might be one of the biggest piece of advice or the biggest takeaways that you've had for other bridge builders in the experience that you've had with Nomic? What might be one thing that if you and your team could say, this is something that you guys should focus on, other bridge builders should focus on, what might that be? Don't cut corners, like really build all these mechanisms to be as solid as possible. And 
Like we're really lucky that we get to make use of all the bridges of the past that have sort of failed or had incidents. And those are sort of the guinea pigs where we can look at what kinds of accidents have happened. And I think that's true of any technology that, you know, it might start out and there are these accidents. Like when people first started using electricity, they didn't have all the safety precautions that they have today. And so there were accidents and that scared a lot of people off. They tried to like say that like AC power is bad. And I think bridges have sort of gone through the same thing where some people are like, never use bridges because they're unsafe. And that's just because the very early ones, they didn't know what to watch out for. And just looking at everything that's happened in the past, there are simple ways to learn from that and incorporate security features into the protocol. And so another one in Nomic I can mention is that it has a circuit breaker mechanism. So if there was some issue and all the funds were leaving the bridge at once, the protocol would automatically put a halt on that and sort of let the community take time to figure out what's going on and respond accordingly. And I think, you know, that'll just be a mechanism that's in every bridge going into the future because pretty much any of the incidents and bridges that have happened in the past, they would have just, you know, been fine if they had that simple mechanism, but they just hadn't thought about that yet. And I think that's a very big lesson is just look at what's happened in the past and adapt based on that. You mentioned that, like, should there be an event where there's a malicious actor trying to drain all the Bitcoin that's been bridged over via Nomic? So right now, I would assume that the Nomic leadership is probably in charge of a lot of these types of decisions. And centralization and decentralization is a spectrum. So as you guys kind of continue to grow and build out the protocol, Maybe you also relinquish some of the reins of the control that you and your team have over the ecosystem. So can you share more about Nomic's plan to decentralize and maybe what a DAO model might look like for Nomic and maybe even the types of decisions that might be put to a DAO? I mean, in Nomic, we turbofish as developers contributing to Nomic. We don't have any special authority. There's no admin switches. We don't have like our keys encoded in the protocol in some way where we control things or anything like that. We're really just a team proposing changes to the protocol and it's up to the network to accept them. And the ecosystem is already on its way, expanding and getting more contributors. And that's a really cool thing to see. And there's really no dependence on Turbofish itself. As you were saying, like Nomic leadership being in charge of those things. It is lacking somewhat more of like explicit DAO mechanisms, but in general, the power that controls things already is the voting power distributed across the validators. So it's, it's sort of the set of validators making some decisions, but overall the set of token holders, nom token holders deciding who they've staked to. And decentralization is something we really value because Coming from the Bitcoin ethos, obviously that's something that Bitcoiners really care about too. And that's another way where I think so many recent blockchains have cut corners because they might not value decentralization as much, but in Nomic, it's really this fair and open protocol where there are no leaders. So maybe we're thought leaders in a way, just because we've put so much work into the design of how the protocol works, but over time. Just like Bitcoin, I do believe it's something opening up where it can be proposed by the first person who built it, but then it's just in the community's hands to keep maintaining it. So like something that I thought was an interesting moment for the Cosmos ecosystem, particularly in the past month, was this contentious vote in Prop 848, which would deal with the inflation rates for Atom stakers and, and how much Atom they would receive for staking. So I'm curious to hear how you guys view the opportunities or constraints that maybe contentious votes might have on behalf of the blockchain networks that you guys integrate with, which is right now Bitcoin and Cosmos. So how does the voting and governance mechanisms of the different blockchains you're on impact the way that you guys develop Nomic? Nomic isn't really affected by that much of what happens on the Cosmos hub. That's just another chain that Nomic talks to, but none of those decisions directly affect Nomic. Like the Atom token and its inflation, none of that really affects Nomic at all. And 
I think that's the way it should be. Like all these chains are sovereign and they can make their own decisions however they want, whether that's simple token voting or however. But going into the future, we do want to be able to propose some different types of governance mechanisms. So in the Ethereum ecosystem, there's been a lot of talk about cool things like Futarchy. And we think that's a really cool governance mechanism where instead of just simple voting, which has its own perils, you know, it just becomes, it might not necessarily pick the right things all the time. Like it's a nice way to open things up to let anyone voice what they want to vote, but you can have that and have a system that makes more principled decisions. So Futarchy is where you have markets make decisions and, you know, that's a whole other thread of things to go down to, but like, we want to really explore how to make Nomic make its own decisions, make the Nomic DAO work in a really good way that like is very cool. So yeah, we're looking forward to that kind of thing. Yeah, that's rad. Zooming out and, and wrapping up, I think something that being a builder in the US, and this is very front of mind for me as well. I'm not sure if I mentioned this at the beginning of the pod or when we were speaking before we started recording, but I was in DC the other day to advocate on behalf of sensible crypto and blockchain legislation in DC. So I'm curious to hear how you guys view regulatory uncertainty and just being a builder in the US. How does that impact kind of the outlook that you and your team have on what you're building? Does it concern you? Does it limit what you guys want to work on? Does it pose a threat to the team or, or to the broader infrastructure that Nomic is building? I just kind of want to hear a little bit of your insights into that. Yeah, it is a tricky thing because there's so much uncertainty. Like if there were rules and guidelines, we would be very happy to follow them, but that just doesn't exist. And so we're sort of in the dark and overall, you know, we're just doing the best we can to, well, we aren't Nomic, we're just Turbofish, we're just developers. And so if our role is just writing code, then, you know, I would hope at least that's sort of like a first amendment ideal that we aren't in control of this protocol. So there's this separation there, but overall, we don't know how that works and like how that will be interpreted in the future. So overall, it's just a very unsatisfying thing to not sure if what we're building will be received by the law the right way. Yeah, I appreciate that distinction, though, that Turbofish, the company, is building this decentralized or is contributing to this decentralized network. It is not the decentralized network, which is a great way to kind of keep perspective on who's building what and how it's being built. If you were to put on your visionary glasses, where do you see DeFi going in the next handful of years? And you're very confident that Bitcoin will unleash these new opportunities into DeFi. So what do you think those opportunities could bring the broader DeFi ecosystem? So I think one of the main things is making all of this easier to use for a mass audience. So there's so many products and cool ideas and things made in DeFi, but comparing that to centralized exchanges, those are still far more popular because, you know, it's just easier for people to use. And so for instance, in Nomic, there's some features that try to bridge this gap. So Nomic has this feature called interchain deposits, where you just get a deposit address, a Bitcoin deposit address, you send Bitcoin to that, and then it shows up wherever the destination is, you know, maybe osmosis, if you want to like start trading Bitcoin or LPing in a pool or something like that. Nomic sort of brings like centralized style UX. And I think that's the evolution of DeFi is making it as easy as centralized platforms so that people switch from those to this because for like the average user, it's not any different than just using Coinbase or Binance or whatever. I think that's the next step in DeFi to really get it orders of magnitude bigger than it currently is. And maybe in the short term, what's next for you and the Turbofish team? What's on the radar for future features or updates with Nomic? These things will just keep coming out as we release them. But as I mentioned a little bit before, putting some focus on the governance mechanisms within the Nomic protocol and just a lot of efficiency upgrades to the bridging process and the side chain and making it much more stable. Like one thing we've seen in the last few months is ordinals has really made fees on Bitcoin spike a lot, which is a cool problem to have that so many people are so excited about using all these things on Bitcoin, but 
that just means some people are priced out where there's like crazy fees going on. And so making Nomic adapt to that and work really well in an environment where the fees, you know, every day might spike up really high and be able to keep working quickly during that. Some will be working on, but overall, you know, just keeping things running smoothly by proving every little bit in the stack. And if people want to keep up to date with you, Matt, or Turbofish or Nomic, what's the best way they can do so? You can follow me on Twitter at Mapum. That's M-A-P-P-U-M. And then yeah, there's a Turbofish Twitter. It's Turbofish Org. And there's Nomic.io. But yeah, there's also the Discord and the Telegram. And there's a pretty lively Nomic community and ecosystem there. Well, I've been a big fan of Nomic for a long time, so I was really excited to have you hop on the other side of the mic. So thank you so much, Matt, for taking the time to chat with us, to share your insights into why you're building what you're building. And I really appreciate the time and really look forward to seeing what you and the team keep churning out and keep building for us Web3 users. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun conversation. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next one. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was super cool to learn more about unlocking the power of Bitcoin's massive amount of liquidity by creating non-custodial bridging solutions into other networks and ecosystems to leverage their DeFi protocols. I also really enjoyed learning more about Nomic security mechanisms, such as the circuit breaker that stops a potential malicious action and allows the Nomic leaders and community to decide what next steps to take if something like that does occur. And it was refreshing to hear more about the Turbofish team's vision to make DeFi as simple as CeFi. To keep up to date with the Smart Economy podcast, head over to smarteconomypodcast.com. And if you like the guests that we've had on the show, please consider showing support for us by rating and reviewing the Smart Economy podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Every review and rating helps us to get this show in front of more people's eyes and ears. And of course, if you're a NEO token holder, please consider voting for NEO News Today as your council representative. We've proudly been serving the NEO ecosystem since 2017, and we'll continue to do so by putting portions of our council income directly back into ecosystem growth initiatives. With all that said, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast, and we look forward to catching you next time.